Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's start things off as we do every Friday with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan and the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. Duff McKagan called me. You know, I, uh, I went to my butcher yesterday and he, uh, he said to me, first thing he says, is, uh, I'll bet you money, Duff, you can't reach the meat on the top shelf of the freezer in there. And I said, I can't do it. The stakes are too high. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> I think the delivery is uh, half the fun or all the fun with the uh, Duff McKagan joke of the week. Funny, funny stuff. Duff, we love you so much. Uh, it's all the fun as well with a legitimate Grammy Award winner on the show today. Guitarist Darren Malakian from System of a Down and Scars on Broadway makes his talk as Jericho debut. He's also a huge wrestling fan, watches everything from WWE to New Japan. He's got a couple of favorite wrestlers he'll tell us about. He's also a hockey fanatic, a longtime Edmonton Oilers fan, and is now loving the Los Angeles Kings. He's going to tell us what's up with System of a Down, why they continue to tour just a little bit but not make any new music. But lucky for us, Darren is still recording new music with his other band, Scars, on Broadway. We'll talk about their latest album, Dictator, and why it took years to come out. And you can actually see, check this out, both System of a Down and Scars on Broadway next weekend. Both bands are playing at the Sonic Temple Festival in Columbus, Ohio. System on Friday, May 17th, and Scars on Broadway playing Sunday, May 19th. System's also playing the Chicago Open Air Festival on Saturday, the 18th. So it's a good little weekend there of Darren. Uh, you can get tickets at systemofadown.com or scarsonbroadway.com. All right, so Darren Malakian is coming up, and that's thanks in part to all the great Talk is Jericho sponsors who make this podcast possible, including Arm & Hammer's new Cloud Control Cat Litter. All right, my three cats, Mr. Mittens, Snickers, and Indy, are loving this new litter. I can tell because they aren't throwing it out of the litter box like they used to with the old stuff. And they're not the only ones who love Arm and Hammer's new cloud control cat litter. My family does as well because it makes cleaning the litter boxes so much easier. Everyone in my family has to take their turn every week to clean the litter boxes. It's on my kids' chore charts, and even my wife and I sometimes have to take a turn but thanks to Arm & Hammer's new cloud control litter, none of us are complaining about cleaning the litter boxes. And that's because there's no cloud of nasties when we scoop. I'll say that again. No cloud of nasties when we scoop. Arm & Hammer's cloud control litter is 100% dust-free. It's free of heavy perfumes. And it also helps reduce airborne dander from scooping. And that's why it's so awesome. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. New cloud control cat litter by Arm & Hammer. More power to you. All right, before we get to Darren, thanks to all of you for the great comments about the Scimitar song Sour Grapes that I played for you on Wednesday. Uh, I actually got another long-lost Scimitar song to share for you. Uh, that was my high school band. If you want to hear more about it, take a listen to last week's TIJ episode, School of Rock, CJ's first bands. We had such a blast, me and Rich Ward, Frank Fonsere, and uh, Billy Gray from Fozzie, talking about our high school bands, uh, being in our teens, learning how to play guitar, and all the different songs that we recorded. We actually had songs, Scimitar did. Uh, very more of a punk vibe. Rich said we kind of reminded us of uh, the Dead Kennedys, and that's totally kind of what we were into. And the reason why we had more of a punk feel is no one could really sing at that point in time. So guys would just shout into the uh, into the ghetto blaster uh, to the boom boxes we were recording. So uh, you'll hear the whole story of Scimitar uh, on uh, High School of Rock. Uh, we are a three-piece. I'm on bass, Kevin Ahoff on guitar, Warren Rumpel on drums, and special guest vocalist Curtis Feist. This is called Baby Psycho. Yeah. <laughs> 
Baby Psycho, when and Anna. You're going to hear it coming up right here, right now. Scimitar, Baby Psycho. All right, this Baby Psycho, we recorded that, I believe, in about November of 86. Thanks to Kevin Ahoff for dusting that off and sending it to me so I can play it for all of you. If you want to hear more Scimitar songs, we do have some more, uh, but I think we'll just stick with Baby Psycho and Sour Grapes for now. This is the week of Scimitar, uh, and it's the week of System of a Down, the day of System of a Down. Let's keep the rock and roll going with Darren Malakian from Scars on Broadway and System of a Down on Talk is Jericho starting now. I can hear him. William, William Shatner said that he was watering headphones. I can hear you just fine. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right, William Shatner. We don't need headphones. <laughs> um, but I'm here with Darren Malakian. I got it. Yeah. Which we were just talking about earlier about how people mispronounce your name. Yeah, it's not Malakian. That's what you usually say? Yeah. My actual name is Daron Malakian. Because this is our, our Armenian? Yes. Is that, yeah. So because the American pronunciation would be Darren. Yeah. Yeah, hey, Darren. I get that too all the time. My real last name is Irvin, uh-huh. but I get Irving, Irvine. After a while, you just accept it. I right? just never correct people, yeah. though. Whatever. You call me whatever you want. Yeah, right? only the real people know, real friends know your actual name, <laughs> yeah. right? My family calls me Daron. Okay, because yeah. that's the proper... But you guys, you actually are from L.A., right? Yeah, I was born in L.A. Right. But your the whole system of a down group uh, was all... A couple of them were born in Lebanon, and uh, Shavo, the bass player, was born in uh, Armenia. Now, it's, it's interesting, though, like, I've been to Iraq a few times, obviously not the same country, and to uh, Afghanistan a few times. Not really the most rock and roll areas of the world. They are now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen, a, uh, has there been an influx of uh, there, I hear about a lot of fans from Iran, uh, places where it's illegal to even play 
rock and roll music. And, you know, you got these kids kind of that were inspired by us. Because you guys were the first. hidden underground scene somewhere in Saudi Arabia. Right. Or Iran or, you know. Because when you go, I was actually in Saudi Arabia last Saudi Arabia last year. When you go there, they don't round, man. Like, I've never been there, but I've heard. Yeah. Like you said, you play music or you drink a glass of wine or it's punishable by literally death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you guys were the first rock band from that that are kind of well that's our background that's yeah. your background right yeah there was no others before. no no actually people would tell me when i was growing up that i had no chance to make it because who else that's armenia never made it in music and is there is there and one? it actually worked against us in the early club days too really yeah yeah we saw a little bit of uh you know the dudes that were white who were getting signed <laughs> before we were, I guess. I mean, we're considered white too, but you know. You know, it's funny. I had Living Color on and they were talking about when they first started like in 87 or 86 that they went to, I think it's nice to say Sony Music and they showed up there and, the, and they sent them to the R&B floor. Mm-hmm. Like there was different yeah, floors. Well, yeah. And it was like, no, we're a rock band. It's like, oh, stop. Rock band? Yeah. Black rock band? No way. I believe that back Once then. again, I'm sure you had the same type of... of, of, of in a different way, in a right? different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would have people directly tell us that, like, uh, you know, who's going to get you guys in the South? Who They don't even know what Armenians are. Mm. Or in, in places where the band became huge, you know, people mm-hmm. would tell us that, uh, you know, people would just wouldn't get us because we're Armenian and we look different. Did you, and we sounded different, too, actually. See, that's the interesting thing. You sounded different. Like, I had uh, Stuart Copeland was on from the police and talking about how he grew up. It's not in Saudi Arabia, but it was somewhere like that. Maybe it was even Iraq. His dad was... Uh, I've heard that, yeah. Right. But he said that's where he got some of his rhythms were like they were reggae rhythms, but they're also the Eastern influence. Mm. And you listen to those police songs and there's a real feel to it yeah. because of that. And you guys had that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not... I wasn't really planned. I mean, I write a huge amount of the music mm-hmm. for System of a Down. I, I never really plan it that way. It just kind of... I grew up with the mix of Western music and Eastern music in my life as a kid. So it just kind of naturally is like this mutation. That system sound is like this mutation of everything I've kind of grown up with in one, you know. You know, I was listening to the Scars on Broadway, the the Dictator record. and I think the song is, is it it F***ing Kill? Yeah. Very eloquently uh, written. There's like a flute in the background or something. Yeah, it's got a very Middle Eastern part, Middle Eastern right. flavor to it's it. It's a yeah. very system of a down sounding type of a vibe. Right? Yeah, you'll There's get that from Scars. You'll hear some similarities in the sound and that's just because it kind of came from the same place. Well, it's well, like you said, because you, you wrote a lot of the, yeah. of the tunes. As yeah. soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, that's totally right what I was kind of expecting to hear from, from this record. Yeah. You know, when you guys started started playing together though, uh, was it in high school or were you kids? Uh, a little after high school. Serge is like eight years older than I am. Oh, so, wow. so yeah, there was a little bit of an age difference. He was way out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, he had gone to school for business. I'm not sure his he had planned his life going mm-hmm. in the route that it did. Um, I was I'm the youngest guy in the band, so I was I was pretty much fresh out of high school when the band formed. And yeah, you know, she started playing clubs by the time I was like 22, 23 years old. I was on the road. Mm-hmm. But I guess what, was, what I'm asking is, like, it's interesting to me that you guys all flock together. Did you grow up in the same part of town? Well, there's a big Armenian community in L.A. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, 
Just, so is it like Koreatown where like there's a certain area of, of, of the city where well, all the Armenian guys I, live? I mean, Glendale, Glendale has is kind of like that. Gotcha. You could say, but yeah. we don't we didn't all come from Glendale. Okay. I lived in Glendale. Um the rest of the guys kind of came from the valley mm-hmm. area. Shavo actually came from like Burbank area. Mm. So well the, the first time I heard you, because you're talking about how you played these kind of these strange rhythms in a way and all this stuff, was when Chop Suey came out. Yeah. And to this day, I still use it as an example when, you know, you hear a band with a, with a single or something along those lines or, or, or with a record where they go, there's no singles on this or this sounds so strange or radio programmers will probably never get this. I always go, well, do you think anybody got Chop Suey when it first came out? Like, definitely the, the weirdest song that's now an iconic song in a lot of ways. But I can't imagine. It's almost like a modern day Bohemian Rhapsody to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that um, is so weird, but it's, you know what I mean? Like, what was it like when you guys first... I think the band was gaining a lot of momentum from our first record. Yeah. And we were on uh, the Ozfest, and we were just touring really hard at that time. We opened up for Slayer, uh, Metallica. I mean, you know, so the band was gaining a lot of momentum, and uh, we never did anything to conform to it. I mean, as as you said, it's kind of a weird song to end up on the radio. Sure. So I think it just, they kind of conformed to us. They saw here's a band that's kind of gaining a lot of momentum, a lot of talk. And uh, I think they just felt radio and MTV at that time. I felt like they felt like they needed to jump on it. Mm-hmm. And um, so it feels nice, you know, to not have to conform to them at the end of the day. And we've just, you know, and musically, I've just always written the songs that I've wanted to write and the styles that I've wanted to write, even System of a Down doesn't have this like I mean we have a sound but there's no rules we have like softer songs funny songs serious songs political poli- politically driven songs mm-hmm. and uh so you know I, it's nice not not to have any rules you know like, when, once again we, we made the I made the Bohemian Rhapsody comparison it's a very queen style of, of band and that you could play all this very diverse type of styles because no one really expects you know ACDC is not going to come out with Chop Suey because you would never expect that nor would you want to hear it <laughs> for you guys, you know, to not have those rules with your songwriting, you have a, a, a definite sound because of it. Well, I, I mean, I feel different all the time. You know, I got different things going on in my life or just different. We don't always wake up pissed mm-hmm. and we don't always wake up happy. And, you know, so it's nice to express those moods and um, have fans that expect that from me in my writing, too. So it, it's a nice freedom that I feel like I have as an artist. What year was your first record out? 98. So it's interesting because look at think it's only twenty years ago, but think how much the business has changed since then. Well, everything's changed. Everything's yeah. changed. It's and it's interesting to me because you said two things that were very uh, in, integral to early band, uh, young bands' development. One was 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 MTV, which yep. there was still kind of the last dregs of what MTV was, and there was CDs and you know CDs. But well, we were like we caught the music business. The, the old style of what the music business was, I feel like we were the, one of the last few bands that right, sure. experienced that before, you know, all the streaming so and everything. Did MTV was pretty uh, influential in getting you guys to the next level? The, when they played Chop Suey, I, was, I remember I was in, uh, I don't know where I was, but it was definitely not a neighborhood that looked like they were into heavy metal. <laughs> and so we were at the mall and there was so many people recognizing me all of a sudden while I'm walking in the mall and that and that was like the first time I'd experienced that you know and it was pretty much when because MTV yeah when MTV played it's it's such a, I guess it's changed now because if you want to see a video you just go on YouTube and watch it but 
I think it's changed, but it's it's still a shame to me that MTV now is all reality shows and game shows and that there's no music on there's it. There's no music. There? Yeah. And I, I guess you could say, well, it's just not the way that things are anymore. But still, if I knew every Saturday night at eight was going to be, you know, the Headbangers Ball. I would still tune in and check it out because maybe you, I don't Did you wanna... sit up for that when you were... <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. right? Yeah. Through all the eras, 80s, yeah. 90s, up to, to when it stopped. But yes, you can see all videos on YouTube, but you have to search them. Yeah. It was cool just to go and know for I, the next hour, here's the block. Sometimes I don't know what to search for, right. you know? So I get... That's why I'm not big on the Netflix and stuff. I'm still a TV guy. Right. Um, I watch a lot of wrestling. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So, and the other one I was going to mention was you mentioned Ozfest, which was huge yeah. in breaking you guys disturbed for mm-hmm. sure. Those, those a lot things. of bands, Slipknot, Slipknot as they well. They were on, we when when we graduated to the main stage. I remember Slipknot was this band that nobody heard of on the second on the second stage, and they became like the big buzz and the big talk. And um, yeah, man, a lot of bands broke out of the Ozfest. It's I don't even think there are tours like that anymore that kind of do that. They had a couple after there was uproar that Monster Energy was doing, and they had another one, uh, Mayhem Tour, I think. But mm-hmm. Ozfest was kind of the template to start it off. Mm-hmm. So when you guys started, were well, you guys were first or second stage opening? Second in- stage band, yeah. Some of the bands that were on the second stage were uh, a couple of the bands that we were playing with in L.A. back in the day. Like Incubus was on the second mm-hmm. stage. I remember Motorhead was closing <laughs> the second stage. Yeah, we, we got to see some uh, Lemmy and some interesting... <laughs> moments. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had a, he had a turquoise bus, an old eagle. And uh he would sunbathe next to the bus in these turquoise like speedos. <laughs> and <laughs> and it was just, you know, he, he, we'd he, get to see that all the time. He yeah. wore the Daisy Dukes too that were cut about yeah. the same. We were yeah. like, those are those aren't even shorts, Lem. Yeah. <laughs> There's no legs on them. Did you ever go drinking with Lemmy at all? No, yeah. no. I, at that time, I was too shy to even talk to anybody. Oh, I really? was just like, what the fuck? I'm in like the, this is like a crazy dream that I'm in. These are all the people I grew up idolizing. And now I'm like on the same tour with them. And, you know, you'd go and have lunch. And I'd end up having, I had lunch with once with uh, Motorhead drummer Mickey D. Mm-hmm. But he used to play for King Diamond right, back in the day. So I was like a huge King Diamond <laughs> fan. So I'd sit there and talk about like the opening fill of them, you yeah. know, <laughs> and just geek out, you know, and that kind of thing. It was just, it was, so it was like a dream was, come true. It was the exact same thing for me. This is years ago. Um, Dokken was opening for, I don't know, maybe Poison or something, but it was the new revamped Don Dokken band mm-hmm. where he had Mickey D was on the drums. Mm-hmm. And afterwards I went to the to the rock club and, all the chicks were gathered around Don Dawkins and all the other guys. Mickey was in the corner. I was like, dude, I love King Diamond, man. And so he's like, oh, thanks a lot. Maybe the big chewing tobacco. We just talked about King Diamond for yeah. like 30 minutes. I got his autograph and I was just like, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So but yeah, you- it was like being at summer camp with right. like all the bands that I grew up listening to in a lot of ways. And Ozzy was such a huge thing for me when I was a kid. So yeah, it was just crazy. Were you handpicked for that? Was it your record company involved? Or was it a Sharon decision or? I can't remember. I mean, we were, you know, we were kind of an up and coming hot band that I think a lot of people wanted us on, you know, their festivals and shows mm-hmm. at that time. And uh, I can't remember who really put put it together. I mean, we've we signed with Rick Rubin, mm. and uh, so Rick had a lot to do with us going out with Slayer in the early days. But I'm not sure how much he had to do with. How the was Oz that? Fest. How was that for a mix with with Slayer? Because obviously, notorious for having 
very hard fans to 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 please. Yeah, it was it was interesting. In those days, I was a lot more like you could say punk glam. My we had a lot. The band it had like a whole makeup kind of thing going on. Oh, really? Yeah. In the early in the early days, it was like very theatrical mm -hmm. um, with the makeup, and um, Slayer fans really weren't into that too much. And I remember we were in Poland opening up for Slayer and there were like dudes in the front row with like SS flags and looking at me like they're gonna like cut my throat and just making signs at me. <laughs> so I started like blowing kisses at them, making it worse. They start throwing coins. And then the show, like we just ended up getting booed and I think uh Serge got hit in the head with a bagel or something and we just cut our set short. But um yeah, you know, and sometimes when they wouldn't do that, I would get in their face and kind of be like you guys aren't cool enough Slayer fans because you're not booing us. So I kind of get yeah. in their face and almost make them boo Whips. us. Yeah. yeah, and make them boo us if uh, if they weren't doing it. You know? <laughs> they weren't into yeah. it. I always like that when you go when you're opening for a band, you get the one guy in the front row who's got his arms crossed and looking at the ground and always try and get them. Yeah. Why are you there? I know. <laughs> I know. Maybe they're for another band, but you don't have to just stand there like with the worst look on your face. Like at least like watch. It's, it's the same. Anywhere. It's the same thing with people that like say bad things on my Instagram page. Right. Like, why are you on my Instagram page if you hate me so yeah, much? <laughs> we played a festival in Spain uh, just this, this summer and there's one of those festivals where two, two stages are side by side. And there's a really good crowd for our set. And the the, the next band was uh, Dragon Force. Mm -hmm. They're on the next stage. So you got a whole good crowd here. And they're all just looking forward at the empty stage. I'm like, you guys can't go anywhere. You can at least look over here. Yeah, right. Like, you hear it. Just like, if nothing else, just to kill time until until they start. Like, just yeah. give yourself something to do. Yeah, it was, it was the same kind of stage thing that was going on in Mexico. And Scars plays, you know, earlier in the days. So, um... You know, we had the same people that were on that side, and then we had our fans on this side. Right. And, yeah, and they were just like, some people were just not having it, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what are you going to do? You know what? You end up becoming, some of those people, you end up becoming their, because I was, sometimes I was that kid that was hard to impress. And some of the bands I didn't like at first ended up be, being my favorite bands later on. Right. So, you know, you never know. Those kids might well, become and, huge fans. And that's fans. the beauty, like you said, when you're opening for Slayer, doing an OzFest or whatever it may be. When you do your own show, you're preaching to the choir. You can just yep. bask in the glory of your own awesomeness. But when you go open for somebody or play a festival, you got You got something to prove. You got something to prove. Yeah. And, you, and if you get the crowd at the end of it, that's a, almost a better feeling than having a sold-out show where you're headlining. Yeah, I, I have... Both of those worlds going right now right, for me. Exactly, yeah. exactly. One last thing I wanted to say about Ozfest. I remember I, I was hanging out with with Zach Wild, and somehow Ozzy came in the dressing room to talk about something. And you guys were on. I can't remember what year it was. You're right close to the top, mm -hmm. maybe right underneath Ozzy. Or well, we headlined it one year. Ozzy wasn't even playing the okay. Ozfest one year, and we yeah. And then someone was talking about like the Zach was like, yeah, the great band. Ozzy like, yeah, the great band, but the singer sounds like a fucking heavy metal Tarzan man. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. I always remember <laughs> trying to imitate Serge with that Aussie voice. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you ever get a chance to, to see him at all as you as you, yeah. as you rose the ladder? Yeah, I mean, feedback? him and, you know, made friends with his kids yeah. and, you know, Sharon. And it was just, I once went to Aussie's house for like a photo shoot. Yeah, that was really cool. Oh, for right a on. kid that grew up seeing the guy in my, I used to see Aussie having 
dinner with my parents and me and my dreams when I was like <laughs> seven. <laughs> they would, he would invite you over. Yeah. I want to talk about um, about scars on Broadway, and you mentioned we were talking about Dictator, how how uh, some of the songs have a very system of down feel as they should because you wrote them. Yeah. Um, was this ever meant to be uh, any of these songs meant for System of a Down? Well, I mean, if System was making a record, then sure. there were, I'm sure, a few tracks off that that I probably would have presented. The song, the first track off the album, Lives, we actually rehearsed as System of a Down once, hmm. but we just never released a song as System of a Down. Because I remember hearing a year ago, two years ago, System of a Down working on a new record. Well, just rumors. We... we there was nothing set in stone. Hmm. Uh, three of us were rehearsing together, and uh, Serge wasn't involved in those rehearsals. Because so. it's, it's, you, you mentioned that you're playing the festival coming up in Chicago, Sonic Temple or whatever. Yeah, whatever it's called. And you, yeah, <laughs> so you guys Google it. But you you mentioned you're playing with both bands. Yeah. So you guys still, Different days. Different days. But you guys still do System of Down gigs, but just no... No new music or yeah. anything like that being worked on. Yeah, and you know it's that's fine. You know, I think people. I'm not sure when rock and roll came out back in the day that people imagined people doing it when they're still like 75, 80 years old. And um, I don't know. I think some bands kind of last forever, and people expect every band to be that that's way. A great point. And um, it's just not. Not every band goes until they're you know, dead, you know, mm. uh, system for us was a great thing that we did at that time. And we've all kind of changed and gone in different directions and that's okay too. And, um, you know, that's, that's just our story up until right now is, you know, there, I just don't feel like sometimes fans feel like they, like we have to keep doing system of a down, but I don't know. It's just, it feels like, I, I, you know what I'm talking about? I, I, think, I, think, I think sometimes, and I used to be like this when I was a kid too, like Iron Maiden, like oh, the, they must hang out all the time. Like Metallica yeah. must go like, like, like those old, None of those bands like, hang out. Like those old Monkeys, <laughs> Beatles movies where they would like open four separate doors and they walk inside and it's all one big house. Like you just live together and hang out together all the time. It's not the case. I mean, being in a band. Most of the time it's, it's not the case. The and I think because you have a band like the Stones, like you mentioned, at 75 still playing, that's an anomaly because it's hard to keep a band together, yeah. especially original members, especially yeah. the two alpha males because every band has the two leaders. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I understand what you're saying is that sometimes it runs its course and you can still continue, but it might only be a few gigs well, a year. I mean, how many of those bands that we grew up, I, I don't want to talk shit about bands, but right. a, lot, a lot of them don't really put out great records anymore. And if they did, would people want to hear them? I don't you know? think so. I think people just listen to the old stuff and love the old stuff on the most part. Right. And I don't know. I think the first five or six albums is usually, usually the... The glory. Yeah, yeah, the best work a band usually has, you know? And, and that's kind of what we have. You know, for example, Pantera. You, for other reasons, you're never going to get another Pantera record again, right. but they have those five records and that's what you got. You know, I you went know? to I went to Kiss uh, uh, a couple times on this tour, and people are going nuts for it. They love it, but the, the 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 complaint that I hear the most is that they play, and this is so ridiculous to me because I'm an '80s Kiss fan because that's when I got into. Okay, them. I'm an all era Kiss fan, but they play Heaven's on Fire, they play Psycho Circus, and they play a song called Say Yeah. Those are the 
only three songs they play post-1983. And those are the three songs that people are still complaining about. It's like, oh, why don't they do, you know, I Stole Your Love? It's like, they still have 25 well, They had history. some great songs, like off, Lick It Up's a great album. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, to me, great all those album. albums are great. I love all those songs. But yeah, my point is, even with the 20-song set, 17 songs basically from the early 80s or 70s, the three ones that aren't still people complain about. And those are not new songs, but to the people in the crowd, yeah. they're new songs. Yeah. So like you're saying, if, if Kiss can't even get away with it for an <laughs> album that's 25 years old, what chance you know to have yeah. a new album now would you have, right? Yeah, but you know, sometimes, look, man, if Ozzy and Sabbath didn't go out and do their separate thing, you would never had Crazy Train, you never had Bark at the Moon, you never Agreed. had so much great Ozzy stuff. Agreed. So, you know, sometimes it's a good thing that, People go their own way. The Beatles. I mean, George Harrison had such amazing songs on his own. After after the Beatles. Yeah. I always love the fact that the next record George puts out after the Beatles split is All Things Must Pass, a triple album. (laughs) Yeah, and all that stuff. All those songs are getting rejected, rejected, rejected. Okay, I'll do a triple album. Yeah, and then they were great. They were great. All of them. Music. It's a great record. Yeah. Because there was a point in time when you guys weren't active at all with System of Down. I don't know if you guys had just taken a hiatus or had actually broken up. Since about 2010 or 11, we've been playing live every other year or so, doing some kind of thing live, you know? Because I remember we played Download probably around that 11 in Mm -hmm. in England, and I think you guys were headlining. It was a Mm -hmm. huge deal. Because around the same time, Rage Against the Machine did a couple shows too, and it was the two bands kind of from the same era that had disappeared. Because it's still a headlining festival band Mm -hmm. that, that you're in, which is pretty cool. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky to have fans that still come out and want to hear the band and see the band. I mean, not longevity definitely is a rare thing in this mm-hmm. business. So uh, I'm very grateful for that, you know, especially without no any albums for so long. Right. So, yeah, and our fans are still dedicated. I look out in the audience and I see a lot of young faces, people that were probably just born when we were coming out, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's it feels good. When you, so do you do a lot of touring with Scars on Broadway? Not crazy, endless touring, but I mean, we just did a tour of the West Coast. We finished it off in L.A. We did like a, a five-show kind of tour. Uh, but where did you play in L.A.? At the Wiltern. Okay, so it's a good theater. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, if I can get in front of a thousand kids, two thousand, that's great for me. Huge, man. Right? Yeah. And so you have a fan base that follows you down now to Scars at Broadway. Yeah, there are a lot of people Broadway. that, you know, there's some people that hate Scars because it's not System. Right. And then you have a lot of people that know that I'm like the main writer of System. So they kind of, you know, follow Scars as well. So, you know, obviously Scars doesn't have the following that Systems, but I'm, I'm not really, it's not a competition yeah. thing for me. I mean, I have songs. I'm not just going to. Systems not really getting together and getting on the same page, so I'm not just gonna sit there and wait around. I've got so much material to put out, so um, it's hard to do that too. When well, you- I have done that. I've kind of sat and waited to see what's happening with System for like ten years. <laughs> that the Scars album you're talking, Dictator. I wrote and recorded that album in 2012 and and held on to it. Wow. Yeah. Thinking that some of those songs might yeah, be the yeah. System. Yeah. That's amazing. I just kind of, I was pretty, to me, System is always the home ship. So I was kind of putting that, sure. you know, first. The, the mothership comes first. So I was like, oh, if they're going to, we might need these songs. So mm-hmm. I kind of just waited and waited till we just weren't coming to a, you know, an agreement and getting on the same page. So I was like, you know what, man, I've been hanging on that record forever. I'm going to put it out already. And I'm glad I did. 
a lot of people seem to dig it. So. And did you play and record all the? Oh, I played everything on that one. Like a Prince type of. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's 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 really cool. So so tell me some of the instruments that obviously you got guitar, bass, and drums. But what was was it a flute that I heard in that? No, one No, it was actually a keyboard, but it's it okay. kind of a wind instrument. So you can play sound. all of those instruments. Yeah. You're like a like a virtual. Yeah, when I'm writing songs, I kind of hear everything happening in my head with the rest of the band, vocally, drums, bass. Everything's kind of the the end product is in my head. So um, and you know I just go in and record it. I'm not sure if I'm gonna do it that way on the next Scars record though. I've got a really good band with great. I was gonna musicians. say, is it hard to find a band to play those songs after you've recorded them? I got really good musicians playing in the band, and I have a I have a way of uh, explaining the feel. It's mm -hmm. it's it's not necessarily the notes or the technical stuff. It's it's the feel that is the toughest to mm -hmm. capture. So I try to try to kind of. Luckily, I could play the drums, so I go behind the kit and kind of show the feel of how I want the songs to move and stuff like that. So, how was it being the lead singer live for the first time? Well, I was a lead singer before in System. I was a, before bands that I played in before. I was always the lead oh, okay. singer. So, and then in System, it's kind of a co-vocal. Yeah, you type did a lot of, of singing on stage with them. Yeah, and um, so it, it wasn't. It's not that different. It's not foreign to me. It's actually singing and guitar to me are. It's kind of like a package deal for mm -hmm. me. I, I I write songs while I'm playing the guitar, and the vocals come out whether someone else sings them or I sing them, I write vocals while I'm playing guitar. So it kind of is, a, it happens together. Dichotomies together. Yeah. yeah. When you, uh, is it is it strange to, we mentioned how the record business has changed to where if you're talking about like Toxicity or something like that, I'm sure, I don't know, would you, three million records you sell or two million records? I don't whatever, even know. Whatever it was. I used to tell them, do not tell me. Oh, why is that? Yeah, I, I just thought it would get in the way of what was important to me, which was the, the material, the music. The writing. So I just not, I didn't want anything in my head. You're not the guy that's gonna be putting the gold records on the wall, or oh, I put them up there. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we won a Grammy, and I never took that Grammy out of the box. Like three years later, I was like, you know what? I should probably put that somewhere in the house. You know, it's so funny, right? Like, yeah, oh, Grammy, whatever. As you should, you should show the Grammy. Yeah, you know, some people. I, I just I'm not one of those people that you know want to. Gotcha. Yeah. I did a, a thing with Devin Townsend. He did a record uh, called Zol Zol Zoltan. It's a concept record. I don't know if you know Devin at all. And I did one of the voices and one of the parts in the concept record. And about, I don't know, six months later, he won a Juno, which in, is a Canadian Grammy. And I get this giant package at my house. And you open it up. It's a big, huge pyramid made of glass. It's a Juno mm -hmm. that he had said to Chris Jericho. That's cool. Very cool. I put yeah. that up on the mantle. And my wife said, that's ugly. And she took it down. <laughs> It's like it's a Juno. <laughs> if you're from Canada, you would think this you're, is You're really from cool. Canada, yeah, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Which is hilarious because I heard that you're a big Oilers fan. I am. How I am. did the Armenian kid from L.A. become obsessed with the Oilers? When I was a kid, they were the great team. Yeah. And I would read about them in Sports Illustrated. And uh, 84 to 88. Yeah, know? I was like nine years yeah. old at that time. And mm -hmm. so I was just like, uh, that was the team to get, get behind. behind. By, yeah, at that time. And... Just kind of, I'm a Kings fan too, though. I'm from, I got season seats for the Kings, so I go to a lot of hockey games. Were you excited when Gretzky got traded to the Kings? No, I probably was the only disappointed <laughs> person in Los Angeles at that time. But um, 
I always tell Kings fans, though, that they should have gotten Messier instead, and they would probably would have won a cup sooner. Mm. You know, so <laughs> I, I just watched. Have you ever seen the 30 for 30 about that on ESPN? No. So, you know, the show 30 for 30, mm -hmm. if you go on on demand, you'll see, you got to see it's called King's Road. It's, it's the whole story about how Gretzky was traded. Yeah. The whole, because Edmonton were like, we're never going to trade him, never going to trade him. And then the owner started thinking about what he's going to get for it. And Sather, who was the coach, was like, can't trade him or the GM. And it's like, I, you could trade a whole franchise for Gretzky and it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. And they ended up selling him for $15 million. I mean, it was good for hockey. Huge for hockey. That's yeah. my point. I and mean, you got teams in Arizona and San Jose all yeah. because of that. The it, Ducks. It, it, by coming to LA, which was a, basically a hockey wasteland in a lot of ways, yeah. it made hockey really cool. Yeah. You know? So you collect Oilers uh, memorabilia? I used to. Oh, okay. Yeah. But my living room has like all the coffee and curry and, you know, all the greats. I have these autographed jerseys. So. And someone from the Oilers kind of came to my house once and did like a thing. It's on YouTube. Uh, you know, about my living room because it was really decked out back in the day. I have all Grant Fuhrer's masks. Oh, wow. On my wall. I mean, not his original, like replicas, yeah, replicas of him, yeah. but, um, you know, yeah. I just grew up loving sports, loving hockey. I mean, I've watched a lot so of your matches. Yeah, too. I'm a huge wrestling fan. How did you get into wrestling? Wrestling's been a part of something I've loved since I was a kid. Mm. Like, it's just always been there from the 80s, you know, early 80s era to now. I still I still watch it. I still follow it. I, I really enjoyed your uh, matches in uh, Japan with oh, uh, cool. uh, Naito, Naito and uh, Evil. Yeah. I, I, like, I like those matches. Those are... So you really watch a lot of wrestling. I now. do. Yeah. I do. Do you do you watch it on Access TV now, or do you get? That's where you see the New Japan stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing because most people will say I like wrestling on the movie talking about Raw and SmackDown, but to go kind of deeper than that. No, I, I really appreciate what you guys do. I I think, and it's like this crazy fantasy world that mixes with reality, and it's it's. I love sports, and wrestling is like the only sport that kind of mixes art and sport mm -hmm. with the acting and the characters and the creativity of that mixed with, you know, the actual things you guys do in the ring that, you know. no, Absolutely. When I was a kid, what attracted me to wrestling was like my dad played, actually, dad actually played for the Kings, the first, oh, really? the first team, 67 to 70. Oh, he wow. Played, and he played for the Rangers and the Blues. And we used to watch hockey. And then right after hockey, AWA wrestling came on, mm -hmm. which is Nick Bockwinkel and early Hulk Hogan. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, hockey's great, but, Everyone's the same. Like, they'll wear the same jerseys, and if they have a helmet, you can't see the faces. But those guys are, like, rock stars. Like, I yeah. know each character. Like superheroes. Superheroes. I, don't yeah. like, I, you know, I like the concept of a team sport, but I like that better. And yeah. that's why I was always attracted more to the show business element of wrestling and the characters of it rather than a group team. Yeah. Well, you're... You're great at it, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever gone to any of the matches here in town? or uh, I've caught a few raw... I went to a few Raw. Mm. Uh, Did any of the guys ever come to see a system show or one of your shows? Um, I know Miz used to go to Ozfest all the I've time. Never, I've never met too many. I haven't met too many wrestlers, if if any. I, you might be the first. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, really. I don't, I've never really met. I think Stone Cold was at one of our shows once, but I never got to meet him. Someone told me he's a fan of the band. But the thing is, like, like I don't know if, I'm sure you realize, but system was huge in... 98, 99. I remember 
as crazy as this sounds, after 9-11, we were stuck in Houston when we finally were able to get out of there driving through the night listening to Toxicity. That week, I think we were like the number one record. Right. Of, of, yeah. That's, Every, the, that's when everyone. Toxicity came out. Right, around yeah. that time. Yeah. And it wasn't just Chop Suey. It was Toxicity and it was Aerials and all those tunes. Well, fans thought we were singing about oh. Aerials in the Sky, uh, uh Self-righteous suicide. Right. Uh, um, you what know, just, just different huh? things, different things that were in the lyrics that fans were like, oh, they're they're prophets. Mm. You know, and, and it, that's when I was like, damn, these people are taking this band way too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because that same week, Slayer God Hates Us All came mm -hmm. out. That was very controversial. It was that week at all. And Dream Theater had a live in New York City where they, their logo was a heart surrounded in flames and superimposed over New York City. So the flames were burning the Twin Towers. Yeah. They had to take the album off the shelves. Like, total coincidence. Yeah. Like you said, just at the exact time for that. Yeah. You know? An interesting time, man. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Tell me about some of the other countries that you guys are, are really big in. Obviously, we're talking about... System everywhere we go, man. We got We got... Fans everywhere. Brazil is like a really big one for us. Really? Um, I mean, we headlined Rock in Rio. You headlined it? Yeah. That's, uh, that's like, I don't even know how so many. 150,000 yeah, people. Yeah, it's like over like 100 something thousand. It's just a sea of people. And right. then when we get off the airplane, there's like crazy amount of fans waiting for us. At, and, and not just Brazil and Chile, like South America, man. The fans are like on a different level. Over there, when people ask me where the best crowds are, I have to give it to South America. They're just on another level. You always hear that if you watch the home videos of like Iron Maiden, they have to put on disguises to walk the street. Yeah, I mean, we we need to go out the back way of the airport. Like they have us go out a whole different way because there's just so many fans waiting outside, and it's, it's kind of crazy, you know. Like I'm at home, nobody gives a shit who the <laughs> hell I am, and then I and I get off an airplane, and it's like the Beatles. <laughs> that's because you live in LA yeah, man. yeah that's the reason why right well, I, I, I like it this way yeah. Yeah. I don't really want that many fans outside my was door. that something that affected you when you guys started getting popular because you seemed like a pretty cool just kind of down earth guy but when... I, I kind of became more to myself you know because of that people always have this imagination of like well when I make it I'm gonna be like this I'm gonna have parties I'm gonna do and I had that imagination of what my life was gonna be and it totally, like, I totally became the opposite of that. I became really zoned into my work, you know, what the next record's going to be. And I just felt like I had to make the band evolve. And I just got focused on that mm -hmm. more than, you know, I mean, I, I partied a bit, you know, when we were on tour. But when I was at home, I was just at home all the time, like a hermit. And, right, yeah. yeah, and just kind of focused on working and trying to... You know. When I first started getting some notoriety here, when I started with WCW, actually even ECW, but then if anyone recognized you, you'd be so happy just that you were someone recognized you. But WCW it was national TV. I always felt embarrassed in an airport, for example, if someone came to get a picture or an autograph or whatever. I felt embarrassed for the people who didn't. Like I felt embarrassed at the people who didn't know who I was, thinking like, who the hell is this guy? Like feeling embarrassed. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was like oh, I'm when people come up to me, I'm probably more nervous <laughs> yeah. than they are. You know, you gotta understand they they come up to us because they've seen us and they feel like they feel like they know us. Of course, yeah. But 
to me, they're just these complete strangers <laughs> that are coming off the street Weirdos and just kind of taking pictures with me. And I'm just, I kind of get like a little bit nervous. And I always want to leave a good impression, mm. you know, because, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's like, well, you know, I met Darren Malakian the other day and he was a complete a jerk asshole. Yeah, yeah exactly. and that, that kind of gets around. You know, well, especially <laughs> now with social media, the advent of that, right? Yeah, so I, I just want them to kind of, you know, I'm try to stay cool and kind of down to earth. And I mean, Dio, I don't really try; it's just what I am. But Dio told me once, he said, "Always give people their moment." He said, yeah. "You'll never remember it, but they'll never forget it." Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like the wisdom of Ronnie James Dio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true, man. They, they, and you know what? We're lucky to have them. You know, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was gonna say when you were talking about when you when you had these rock and roll dreams when you were a kid, who was like your heroes as a guitar player? Or I always wanted to be a drummer. Oh, I really? really wanted to be a guitar player. That all just happened by accident because my parents wouldn't buy me the drums because you can't turn them off. <laughs> <laughs> um, what a mum thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but it was you know a lot of a lot of the heavy metal stuff that was going on in the eighties. You know, we're, in, we're in the heavier bands, or we're into more like the all of it, hair metal bands. All of it. I mean, um, in Especially the er, in the LA. early eight. I mean, I started collecting records when I was like four years old, so that was like seventy nine, eighty. I started realizing that there is this thing, and that I'm really into it. And um, you know, so at that time, it was like Motley Crue and Def Leppard, and then but then when heavier bands came, I kind of gravitated to that, like Slayer and Metallica and all mm -hmm. that stuff. But um, but I mean, I, I liked all kinds of music too. Though I really loved Depeche Mode and things like that, as well. You know, it's crazy. I, like you know, when I was in high school, I was the metal guy, and my friend was the techno guy. We called it. And he was Depeche Mode, and I was Metallica. And yeah. Made, but Depeche Mode is so good, man. Yeah. It's like Duran Duran. Like I used to hate them when I was a kid I because liked them. other girls I liked, them. liked them. But now I just they're they're, they're great. They're, yeah. The first. Two, the first Duran Duran album is really great. Girls on film and Planet yeah, Earth. Yeah, all yeah. that stuff. It's yeah. really good. Yeah, I just, if I liked something, I, I don't know. I was never ashamed. But but I was, you know, the kid wearing the heavy metal t-shirts and stuff yeah. like that. That was more of my identity. More the rock thing? Yeah. Because what if you're, you're in the 80s, you weren't, were you a teenager in the 80s? No, in the 80s, I was still. Okay, so it's not like you were kid. going down to the Sunset Strip and checking no, out all the scenes. but I grew up there. in Hollywood. I, I knew what was going on. Oh, okay. But uh, I grew up. Right off Hollywood, um, around Santa Monica and Vine. Is, oh, so that's right in the area. Yeah. So I, and we would drive by there. And as I grew up, I was always like looking at the Sunset Strip like one day, <laughs> one day, you know. By the time you guys got to go on the Sunset Strip. It was all thing. gone. Exactly right. And we, I remember all the bands used to talk about like, man, we f***ing caught this at the wrong time. We should have <laughs> been doing this like just seven years ago, maybe. You know? There's always a couple bands like that. That like I was a big into that scene, and I think it was like maybe '91 or '92. There was like a Firehouse or a Cinderella or mm -hmm. a Trickster. It's like if you guys were like five years earlier, you would have been huge. But just give the tail. The end. thing is, you, those bands, that whole thing only lasts. It, you, it felt like forever at that time, but if you think about it, they were only big for like four years. Oh yeah, like it didn't really last that long. If you think about all music, though, if you look at grunge, for example, if you yeah. want to, whatever grunge is, yeah. But see, you know, bands like Alice in Chains still can Pearl Jam. They they still yeah get out and play. I'm not sure that you can say that for too many of those band those bands from. Well, that I, th era. I think it's it's the sim it's the same thing that happens. The top of the top, cream of the crop. Yes, your Motley Crue, mm -hmm. your Bon Jovi, sure. 
grunge, your Nirvana or Pearl Jam, but you have like all the Mud Honeys and, yeah, the, yeah. and the you know those type of bands, yeah. the Screaming Trees. It kind of came and went within like two or three years. Yeah. Same with what, what, what would you call whatever Corn was? Uh, uh, new new metal. metal. See, they always lumped us with that, but I never felt like You're we were not. a part of it. Right. Uh, but we did come out of that scene. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, there there's always a few bands I guess that come out of the scene that maybe last. Like you know, you you could say U two back in the day came out when new wave new goth wave, sure. type of thing was going on. Their first couple albums had that sound to it. Yeah. Um, when GNR had had kind of the more dirtier hair metal sound. I think it's the bands. You know, I I always wanted to evolve and expand the sound and take risks even. Even though I didn't think I was taking risks, I was just playing what I liked. But, you know, it, it, I think the bands that kind of stuck with that same sound get clumped into that scene. Just like U2, U2 kind of evolved away from all that stuff and did different records right. and stuff. And I think those are the bands that kind of survive it, maybe. Well, like yeah. you said, it's the diversity. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of it is, is a time frame, too. Like, because you came out in 98, for example when new metal was the thing, well, you're, you're lumped in there by proxy. Mm-hmm. Like Soundgarden's not a grunge band. Yeah. They're, they're basically Black Sabbath circa, you know, 1994. Yeah. But because they came out of that time frame and from from where they came from to Seattle, isn't Corn from LA? Uh, Bakersfield. Baker, so there you go. This is kind of, the, you guys are all from California. It's 1998, yeah. you're new metal. Yeah, that was the scene that was happening at that time. A lot of the bands that... Came out of LA. They were, remember Cold Chamber? Mm-hmm, right. Yeah, they were around. They came. Yes. With, they, they were. Yeah, they were a band that we played with at uh, those times in LA. Uh, Incubus came out of that. Um, we came out of that. Deftones came out of that. Right. So yeah, you know. What, what, what about like a band like Linkin Park? Would you put them in that category? They they, they came started? out of that yeah. as well. They were a little. Uh, they came a little after, like just slightly after us. Um, they were like one of the, I think they recall they that they opened up for us once at the Whiskey. I don't remember the show, but <laughs> I remember Mike talking about that. Um, it's a typical Whiskey. There's like 18 bands opening. Yeah, in those whiskey, days. Right? Yeah. <laughs> free nights. Uh, on free nights, I remember they were at the Roxy. I think it was Tuesdays that were like free nights. And we'd always want to get on those shows because so many people would show up because it was free. You get it for free. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, I saw when uh, when uh, Chester had his uh, had the tribute show. You played on that. Yeah, pretty tight with those guys. Yeah, you know they're they're good friends. Uh, we did a song together. Uh, there's a song off their record. I can't remember the title of the record, but the song's called Rebellion. So it was maybe like two or three years before Chester passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went into the studio and so they wanted me to play on one of their songs that they had and I was kind of like well I have I have this song you guys want so that we ended up playing a song that I wrote mm. and um it's cool experience man I you know that whole thing with Chester was very surprising to me cuz he was anytime I saw him he was just always a really up up tempo guy he he actually made me feel better once when I was sitting in the dressing room probably pissed off for whatever reason and I remember the first time I met him, he walked into the dressing room and he really lifted my spirits. And so it was just kind of, yeah, it's kind of sad to, mm. to see things kind of go that way for him. It, it, people don't realize how hard it can be to be on tour and on the road and it's really public. I, I, I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of touring at all. Mm. I'm not a big party guy. Um, I enjoy being on stage, but the rest of it I hate. 
I hate the traveling. I hate, you know, always changing where I'm at. I'm, I'm a very homebody guy. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't enjoy the touring part of it. And, and not just the touring, uh, you know, popularity, celebrity, you know, like I said, everyone takes it a different way. Everyone thinks it's going to be some, something. And then when it ends up happening to them, you know, they, they, everyone reacts to it a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why bands end up kind of, you know, going their own way and splitting apart because you got four guys in the band. All of a sudden the band gets huge. Now you got four famous guys and each one of those dudes takes the, the fame and it hits them in a totally different, it's their ego. It hits everything in a whole totally different way and makes them a totally different person from when you started the band and nobody gave a shit, you mm-hmm. know? That's a great point, man. Like like you said, you have four people being pulled in different directions depending on how they're going to react to it. Yeah, the, fa- it. the fame is the craziest part of it, yeah. though. The popularity, the fame, the, the fans, one person getting more attention than the other person, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, just, you know, it, it just causes friction between band members. And I think it happens in every case, too. Just some bands tend to stay together and some bands don't, you know. But it's also like, too, like if you if you talk with somebody that got married when they were 18 and they're still married at 50 or they got divorced at 40, it's like your, your kids, like you guys, you know, 98, what are you, 25 years old, 24 years old, whatever it may be, you're still a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And as you get older, everyone grows in different ways. And that's, once again, we were talking about even a band like you 2 that can have all four original members for 40-odd years. That's nothing to take lightly. That's incredible they could do that. Yeah, they keep it together one way or another. Right. I mean, I don't know how, but... Yeah. <laughs> Separate buses. <laughs> yeah, give me that secret. You know? Yeah. I went to ZZ Top a couple couple years ago. Billy Gibbons is a big wrestling fan. Yeah. There's only three of those guys, all originals, but do they take their own buses? They got their own dressing rooms. They're hanging out as minimally as possible. Yeah. You know, and I can see that after all those years of doing it, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's. I think it starts when you're early days, you know, you, you go on tour and you're on this tour bus and you're together all the time for years, <laughs> you yeah. know, and I think, you know, you, you start getting a little bit of that cabin fever and, you know, that's when you kind of, when you have your chance, you kind of go your own right. way, you know? Right. I think it's something when you first start, it's cool. And maybe in your later years, it's cool. But in those middle years, you're like, I can't stand being around this guy anymore. Yeah. And watching him eat a cheeseburger drives me crazy. See, I don't, I don't hate anybody in my band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not like no, that. No, no, no. You know what? In our case, it's def. You know, a lot of people are like, well, creative differences. In our case, that's the truth. It, it really is a creative difference type of thing of where a few of us want to take the band and where someone wants to take the band in another way, you know? And it's a creative difference thing. When it comes to happy holidays, Easter's, birthdays, you know, we're all we're all still cool. We all consider each other like a family, you know? System of a Down is a special thing, and it's us four. And, um, you know, yeah, like I said, in our case, there is none of that, like, I can't stand seeing the guy eat a hamburger or so anything. You talk, are you talking from a musical direction, a musical standpoint then? Like you're saying that, that one person wants to take the music in one way and one takes the music? Or are you talking about the concept of what the band is or how much the band works? or um, It's like System had a certain way of putting together the albums and the music. And I guess that was me writing and, and all that and producing the records along with Rick. And, uh, you know, 
Serge wants to do things gotcha. different ways. So we, and it's not just me that it's kind of three of us that don't necessarily see eye to eye with mm-hmm. where he would want to take the band. And so that's kind of, yeah. that's kind of where we're at. A lot of people think it's just between me and him. And that's not really mm-hmm. the case. In the last two Kiss records, Paul Stanley said, I'm producing it. There's no outside writers. If you don't like it, we're not doing it. Obviously, Paul's not going to tell Gene what to do, but if Gene didn't agree with it, they wouldn't have done new records. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not sure if they were happy about it or not, but for example, this guy's taking control. This is what we're doing. Either you agree or you don't agree. So like you said, it's all part of, of the, the chemistry of being in a band and, yeah. and, and the longevity. I wanted to ask you a couple things before we wind down here. The song ATWA, talking about Charles Manson, very controversial figure, just passed away this year. You feel that he was treated unfairly. It's just an interesting story to me. Uh, not necessarily that he was treated unfairly. It's just there's a certain side to him that I, I, I've I never was ever interested in murders or anything like that mm-hmm. with that thing. I just used to watch his parole hearings and things like that. And I found what he had to say. He just articulated his words and... and uh, his message in a, in a certain way that I thought was unique mm. and interesting and made him original. And, uh, you know, he was, he was not a stupid guy at the end of the day. Hell no. He's very mesmerizing. Yeah. Hear him talk. So that, that's the part of it that I found, um, intriguing, I guess. Yeah. I always found it interesting that he didn't. And once again, this is not standing up for Manson in any way, but that he, he never actually killed anybody. Yeah. It was more on his, you know, mind games and my mental control over, over his minions. Yeah, but yet, if that was the case, if I'm, that was the case, I, yeah, right. I'm not even sure that's the case. But yeah. then he was, and, and and listen, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was proven that he did kill somebody. I'm sure I'll hear about it. <laughs> I don't. No, no, I don't. Think I don't think so. he did. I think yeah. it was more of like. What, I think they caught him at the scene of one of the crimes. But for in, and maybe because he was so crazy during his parole hearings, but for 60 years or whatever it was, it just seemed very much. I think his reputation preceded him. Yeah, I think he just went along with it as time went on. I think he liked it. Yeah, I think he like. I think he likes the attention as well. Right, it's interesting. Yeah, but like I said, at the end of the day, I think people think I'm standing up for the murderer. No, 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 Charles. See, (laughs) you, you, you know, O.J. Simpson did something really horrible. Right, but you can't take away that he was a badass running back. So Manson, to me, when it comes to his views on society and things like this, I, I in a lot of ways, agree with. And like I said, find interesting. But the murder side of it, I... Well, I and, and, where, and where do you draw the line? Because I'm in the middle of it all the time when you talk about Chris Benoit. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a whole show about him just to talk about his putting the murders aside. And this, these are people that I knew, including Chris. His work, forget about the last weekend of his life. I wanted to talk just about his brilliance in the ring. Not tainted. To by me, what that's he did. separate. Yeah. That's what I mean. You you have to 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 separate the two. Yeah, people can, and I understand the reason why. But I wanted to go on a limb and and talk about his career, which I was involved in so many great matches with yeah. this guy. Yeah, but was never able to really talk about it or or think about it even. I so, think you can still respect him as a, as a wrestler and and his the, contribution I, I, to wrestling and in yeah, the ring. And, and obviously. You'll never be able to to you know. There's there'll never be a Hall of Fame for Chris Benoit or anything like that. But like you mentioned with OJ, like you can still go and say this run here, his touchdown from the you know ten yard line in. Let's just take all of this other negativity aside and all the horrible things he did and just focus on that. 
as a really talented, you know, human being. It's just, to me, it's totally separate. Yeah. You know, it's one, totally different worlds. One is his work and his contribution to Mm -hmm. his craft. And the other is things he did outside of that. And um, yeah, like I said, it's it's, it's, it's a real uh, interesting topic to, to discuss. But last couple of things you mentioned, I know all the work that you did, all your records were made with Rick Rubin. Yeah. Uh, another huge wrestling fan. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it we like? Were at a, we, we were sitting separately, but we were at the Raw uh, thing He's at always the in the front Center. row. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny, in 94, I worked for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was Jim Cornette's. Yeah, yeah. And Ruben was the silent uh, investor. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. And I didn't know it either until about two or three years later because Cornette was always talking about the silent investor, the silent investor. Oh, I didn't know that. Who was Ruben, yeah. One of the geniuses of producing. A lot of people have different thoughts about him. What did you learn from him as a producer from working with him side by side? What was his style of producing, I guess, is what I'm... Well, with us, he was really... I think Rick made me into a better songwriter. Hmm. And his focus was always on the song and not necessarily technical musicianship. He taught me how to smooth out the drums. Like, you know, keep drummers always want to play busy and put in the fills, like how to keep it, how to keep something, you know, the groove and keep the beat, you know, stay. So he worked on that a lot. You know, he's not, he doesn't come in on the technical side of things. He's like a guy who you respect his opinion that kind of gives you an opinion on your song and you go back and try the changes that he... Mm-hmm. And sometimes he doesn't even give an opinion. Like, I'll come in and he'll be like, fix it, which just means <laughs> it's not done or something. So I would have to go in and like, you know, figure out how to fix it. Um, he was just going on a feel. Yeah, you know. And he's, like I said, he's not really the knob twister. And some people kind of have worked with him and came to me and were like, what does he do? Because he'll kind of come in and he'll just like lay on the couch and he'll be on his phone and and then he'll just like throw out, like play it again or (laughs) I don't know, some kind of something. And um, some people want someone more hands-on. And for me, he was just as hands-on as I would have liked. Right. Because I had my own ideas of how I wanted things to sound as well. So he would just kind of, I felt like he would just kind of come in and his opinions would already make the, he wouldn't change the direction that I was going into, but he would make it better Mm -hmm. by just like a really tiny opinion, just a small little thing. For example, in BYOB, you know, the intro would start and we kind of saying, well, why do we always send the poor? And then we go into the song. Well, that was his idea Mm. to say that before we went into the verse. And it was just like a tiny little thing like that that really changes. You know, when you give an opinion that's small like that in a two-minute song, that makes a big, big impact Mm -hmm. to the song. And um, I used to get that with with Vince McMahon if I had an idea. And it would be like, I'd explain this idea and it would be all set in stone and really good. And he would go, what if you just the equivalent of taking this Kleenex bottle. What if you took this Kleenex box and just moved it there? And you'd be like, oh my gosh, that just made it perfect. Yeah. Like just one little thing of like, you, you had the direction, that. but he, right. yeah. How did and you it's kind that? of, it's kind of the same, same thing, right? Same deal. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so are you one of those, I don't know, like everyone has Vince McMahon horror star. Are you one of those Vince haters or? No, not at no? all. I mean, 
it's like you said, it, he's a boss, right? And um, you have to do what he basically wants you to do. But if you earn the trust, you get a lot of input, a lot of creative freedom. Now, sometimes you want to kill the guy, but yeah, that's just your boss, right? Yeah, yeah I had no, nothing to say bad about, about Vince McMahon at all. Definitely helped me become a better performer. Yeah. You know, for things that, that he taught me and things that are the things that I shouldn't uh, do because of things that I've learned from him as well, you know? I miss his commentating. He's still the best commentator. He was, he was one of the best. Yeah, I still, mean, still was, one of the best commentators, yeah. especially when you go back and listen to watch some of those old Saturday Night yeah. events or something like that. Him and Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Still the best uh, uh, commentating team yeah. ever, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I liked Ventura's commentating. Did you? Like, yeah. yeah, in those days. Yeah. Last few questions. Who's your favorite wrestler of all time? Uh, George the Animal Steel. No, <laughs> no offense. <laughs> George the Animal. You're up there. Oh, well, thank you're, you. You're up there. <laughs> what, what, George, the, the fact he ate turnbuckles, he had a green tongue. Just great character. Mm. You know, it just fit. And uh, just when he came into the ring, it was just chaos. He would just come in with the... You well, believed. <laughs> yeah, he was a savage. Yeah, you, you, you bought it. When I uh, when I drink too much, sometimes I'll smoke some cigarettes. Every morning I wake up with the green tongue. I always see the Georgia animal steal yeah. green tongue. I was smoking last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you believed in him. He had the commitment. Yeah, right? he 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 was one of a kind. No one no one kind of can no one can bite that. Yeah, like yeah. it's his it's his that thing. Was his gimmick, and, right. And at the time, you know, too, he was doing it at a at a time that it was like he stood out from the other mm -hmm. wrestlers because of of that. Like I said, you still brought a lot of chaos. Once he came into there, everyone would clear out because he would just eat the turnbuckle. <laughs> yeah. like I love that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Legion of Doom, those guys were great mm -hmm. in the not as much in the WWF era, but like in the earlier right when they used to come out with Iron Man playing. I used classic. to love that. That was the classic thing when when you go to the WWE, Vince has to turn you into his creation. And yeah. A lot of those guys, when they came in, were already made. They didn't need any adjustments, but that's not how it works when you go to that level, you know? Yeah. I see I see the WWE has become more of a soap opera. Mm -hmm. But say when I watch New Japan, you kind of watch, you watch the matches. The, the, the wrestling is just really on a, I feel well, it's like. It's very simple. The soap opera is that this guy's the champion and this guy's the challenger. That's it. You don't need much more of a story than that, which which creates more of a competition vibe rather than the soap opera vibe. Like you yeah, said. I mean, I like them both, but yeah. I I watch them I watch them both for different right reasons. Different reasons. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. What's your favorite uh, song to play live with System? I don't know. That's a tough one. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. There's. I mean, it's kind of like saying which one of your kids is like <laughs> your favorite kid. Yeah, yeah. Hard to say. What about from from Scars on Broadway? Same. 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 Thing. There's not one that stands out for you even on the record. No, not really. I I can never I can never because they're they're all kind of different from each other and they just have different place in my life about different parts of my life. I I just can't really. When you do Scars gigs, do you play all Scars songs? Yes, except we did an acoustic show and I threw in a couple of System songs like Lost in Hollywood and Lonely Day. Mm. Um, but on the most part, when we do Scars, we. Keep it to scars and system stay system. That's smart. Yeah, I mean they're they're both totally different, different bands, different players. Um, John was on the first scars on Broadway album as the drummer, but we still didn't play any system songs. Mm. I think it's cool. I mean, I think if the day comes that I know system is just done, maybe I'll feel more comfortable playing. But since system still plays live and 
you know, it's still something that happens in in a live way, then I, you know, just kind of keep them separate. Makes perfect sense. When, when Slash was doing the Conspirators before Guns N' Roses got together, he had six GNR songs in the set. Now when he does the Conspirators, it's all Conspirator stuff, because if he wants to do GNR, he'll do that with GNR. Yeah, he, now he has the option to That's do right. that. Yeah. That's right. Uh, last question for you. Who's your favorite Edmonton Oiler of all time? Esatikinen. Wow. That I have an answer to. <laughs> Dude, I grew up in Winnipeg, right? So the Jets and the Oilers were like hated yeah. rivals. That's why I hated Gretzky when I was a teenager because he has the most points against the Jets over any other team. He killed us year after year. But Tikkanen, that son of a bitch, was so nasty. Yeah, he was a and pest. such a little shit. He just yeah. wanted to reach. I, I too. <laughs> but he, nobody can. Uh... Nobody, he, they call him the shadow. He, he shadowed Gretzky. And Gretzky played against Tekin and he had horrible nights. Right. Yeah. Because Tekin would get under your under your skin, too. Yeah. And, but they had him assigned to just follow Gretzky wherever he went. He's the type of guy that you hate. Every team hates him unless he's on your team. Yeah. And then you love him. And he's got like five rings, six rings. He's got a lot. He of, has all the rings because he was there in 90. Like yeah. Messier. Messier yeah. and Tekin. But he, I think he went after, too, as well. Maybe with another team because Oilers got five. Yeah, I, I know Oilers got five, but yeah, after I, I, I feel like he's got more. We'll have to uh, look at anybody that's listening. <laughs> talk is Jericho. Let us know and uh, we'll fill you in, dude. It's great talking to thanks, you. Man. Thanks, thanks for blast. having me. It's actually nice meeting you. Yeah, nice. Meeting yeah, you. <laughs> I can't believe our paths never crossed. Yeah, I, like I said, you're the first wrestler. I think. I, well, I, I know Ronda Rousey, but I met her before she was a wrestler. Oh, okay, when she's UFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. There you go, man. Next time we have a show in L.A. with AEW, you have to come check it out. Yeah, for sure. Let me know. It's a deal. You can play me to the ring. Yeah, can I be like the manager, like the evil <laughs> manager guy that interferes in the matches? No, I want you to play f Kill the Ring on TV. <laughs> All right, thanks to Darren Malakian. Uh, doing double duty at the Sonic Temple Festival in Columbus, Ohio next weekend. He plays Friday night with System of a Down and Sunday night with Scars on Broadway. Get your tickets at scarsonbroadway.com and pick up the new Scars album, Dictator at Rocks. It's very System of a Down. You can tell I wrote the majority of the music for that band. If you like System, you'll like Scars. You dig it, I promise. You know what else you're going to dig? Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. Come and join us for the best vacation of your life when we set sail January 20th, 2020. I'm telling you right now, we're 84% sold out, and that's no bum steer. That's the truth. So if you want to get your cabin, you better book soon. We're still eight months away. Only 16% availability left. Come hang with us. Come hang with Ric Flair, the NWO Wolf Pack, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, X-Pac, Jake the Snake Roberts, Booker T, Queen Charmel, MVP, Brad Williams is the host, Vicky Guerrero, special cruise director. Vicky and Eddie's daughter, Shawl, is bringing her rock and roll burlesque show, The, Von the Vaudettes. The whole crew is going to be there. The whole troop. Jack Slade, special cruise mascot and keeper of the ice. Uh, Solo Cup Jeff, Red Cup Jeff is going to be the bartender. Ted Irvin is going to be there from the New York Rangers. Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson doing 83 weeks live on the ship. Fozzie playing three shows. Farewell to Fear playing Rubik's Cube, the 80s cover band, the best 80s cover band, The Experience. Killer Queen, the greatest female queen cover band. The Dave Spivak Project, Jared James Nichols, Kickaxe will be there. DDP returning to host more live DDP yoga on the ship. Beyond the Darkness hosting more creepy paranormal events. Uh, Sarah Tiana making you laugh. Bruce Jingles making you laugh. We get everything. Comedy, live podcasts, rock and roll, wrestling, everything you need. Come join us. Chris Jericho Cruise. Dot com. It's the vacation of a lifetime. And if you want to see Fozzie on the cruise, you can. Or if you want to see Fozzie uh, next weekend, or next week, Greenville, South Carolina, at the Firmament on May 15th. 
May 16th, Greensboro, North Carolina at Cone Denim. Both of those with Nita Strauss joining us. May 17th, Virginia Beach at the Lunatic Luau. May 18th at the MMRBQ uh, in Camden, New Jersey at the BB&T Pavilion. July 12th, Mansfield at Incarceration. And don't forget about Unleashed in the West, Fozzie's West Coast run in September, built around the Iron Maiden gig on the 14th, uh, starting uh, September 5th in Denver, Colorado. Go check out all the gigs and all the dates at fozzyrock.com. Buy your tickets, buy your VIP packages. We play an exclusive private set just for you. Hang out with you. We meet you. We greet you. Go to fozzyrock.com and join us for the rock and roll show uh, of your life. I'm going to say that, and I'm, you know I mean it. All right. Thank you so much. Next week here on the show uh, on Wednesday, Joe Bob Briggs, the greatest B-movie critic of our time. He's talking about the last drive-in that's on Shutter. He's talking about the Joe Bob Briggs uh, 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 review system. I love Joe Bob Briggs. I love B-movies. If you love Basket Case, The Sleepaway Camp, and The Howling, and all those movies, you're going to love Joe Bob Briggs and The Last Drive-In. That's going to be next Wednesday, right here on Talk is Jericho. In the meantime, and in between time, have a great weekend. Be safe. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Stay wet. And a big, uh, yeah, boy, we're going to be there. Wake up! Scooting me in the middle the you told me to. You told me to. You told me to. You told me to. Oh yeah.